welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, December 9th, 2018, on the basis of Luke 3, verses 1 through 6. A man by the name of Dr. George Beard recently wrote a book entitled American Nervousness, Its Causes and Its Consequences. And one of the things that George Beard argues in his book is that the speed of our lives is directly tied to the speed of our ability to communicate. So the faster we can communicate with one another, the faster our lives move. And so George Beard argues that because of recent advances in communication technology, yes, our our ability to do business, our ability to get things done has gone up, 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 but so has the speed of life. And therefore, so has the stress and the anxiety and the depression that is present in our country. And everything that I just said to you is 100% true, except for one important word. I use the word recently. George Beard actually wrote his book back in 1888. And the major advance in technology that he was talking about that was leading to lots and lots of stress among people was... The telegraph. That's right. Because of this major advance in communication technology, people on one side of the country could connect with people way on the other side of the country and send them information at a dizzying rate of three bits per second. Of course, by the time 1985 rolled around and the Internet was starting to get more and more popular, that rate of communication had gone up to 1,000 bits per second. And of course, in 2018, you can simply pick up the phone and call MHTC and right in your very own home, get high-speed Wi-Fi that sends you information at 25 million bits a second. So if the telegraph was causing stress and anxiety to go up, do you think that our communications technology is maybe just maybe doing the very same thing to us, only to a far greater degree? I think so. But you know, that story about George Beard kind of illustrates something important about the human condition. You see, it's not just things. It's not just in terms of our our tasks that need to be completed or the jobs that need to get done or the responsibilities that fall on our plate that we want to be able to use words like done, complete, ready, finished. We also want to be able to use those words about ourselves. In fact, let's not even reduce it to a a single word or a set of words. Let's reduce it to a symbol. Is there any more beautiful symbol in all the world than that one? Is there any more appealing thought that the entirety of you and your life could be summed up in just one, one single symbol? We want not just completed things in our lives. We want to feel as though we are complete people. And just as in 1888, so also today we think, we foolishly think, that the way to be completed people is to get more stuff done. That if we just work harder or work faster, if we're just more productive and more efficient, then finally we will have that feeling of satisfaction, contentment, completion. Even though George Beard discovered in 1888, and people are still discovering more and more so today, that not only does that not work, but it actually takes us in the exact opposite direction. And so as we gather here today, maybe it seems as though the last thing that we could possibly use is another assignment, another thing to do. 
And maybe as you heard those words read from Luke chapter 3 this morning, you thought that's exactly what you were getting. Another assignment, another thing to do. And yet the reality is that John the Baptist's Advent message for us today is the one message that we could possibly hear this time of year that is totally unique. An assignment that doesn't add one more thing to our plate, but actually takes a whole bunch off. Something that we can, in fact, complete that doesn't make us feel less complete as people. As we look at these words from Luke chapter 3 this morning, we're going to see that God gives you work that's never done, and yet it's always complete. It wasn't just in 1888 or even in 2018 when people look to completed tasks to make them feel like completed people. That was also true. That was also going on in Jesus' day. And in Jesus' day, the thing that made people have that sense of completeness and satisfaction more than anything else was their national and religious pride. All of their work, all of their focus in many ways was, was revolved around those two things, national and religious pride. And so as Luke begins his verses the way that he does, with all of those names that you maybe didn't recognize, that you might be tempted to think we just need to get through that part to get to the actual message that God has for us today, realize what Luke is doing in those verses. Yes, he wants us to know that as Jesus begins his public ministry, these are things that happened not long, long ago in a land far, far away, but at a real time, at a real place. They are real events that really happened in real history. But Luke is also very clearly telling us and wanting his readers to know what had amounted from all of the work that had gone on in Jesus' day and all of people's attention given to national and religious pride. The Romans ruled the world. Tiberius was Caesar. There was a time when the Romans allowed the Jewish people to sort of govern themselves locally and handle their own affairs, but not in Jesus' day. You heard how Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. As for religion, well, the the Jewish religion really culminated in one central figure, one leader who was at the top of it all, the high priest. He was sort of the pinnacle of the Jewish faith. He was the one person who represented the entire nation before God and offered offered to God all of the sacrifices that God required. Well, in Jesus' day... There wasn't one high priest, there were two. Why? Because in those days, Rome didn't just pick the political rulers, they picked the religious rulers too. So much for all of that work and all of that attention given to national and religious pride, it had amounted to nothing. It's also no accident that as God then sends out John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus, as he gives him this important message to deliver, he sends John not to the city, but to the desert out in the middle of nowhere. If people were going to go listen to John, they needed to leave behind all of that work. They needed to leave behind their jobs and their homes and their to-do list. They needed to go out into the middle of nowhere, into the desert. I would guess that when they went out there, they didn't even get cell reception, if you can imagine that. And the message John proclaimed out there in the wilderness was simply this. Repent. Repent. Luke quotes some verses from the prophet Isaiah that help us in very vivid terms picture what that concept of repentance is all about. Isaiah wants us to picture repentance as a construction project, as if we're building a highway, a highway that connects us to God, a highway that needs to be perfectly and completely smooth. So there are valleys that need to be raised up. 
There are mountains that need to be leveled. There are crooked places that need to be made straight. And there are rough patches that need to be made smooth. John wants, Isaiah wants us to picture repentance as a construction project. I don't know about you, but that sounds like more work. One more thing to do. The reality is that we need to realize that the very thing that separates us from God in the first place, the very thing that, that creates this distance between us and God that needs to be traveled is our sin. Our work, the work of our hands, that is exactly what has caused God to be distant from us. Sometimes the work of our hands is that sin that we commit. Either those accidental errors that we slip into on a daily basis or that deliberate disobedience that we sometimes choose for ourselves. Sometimes the work of our hands is not the sin, but it's actually the obedience those mountains of goodness that we like to pile up, thinking, now God will finally be happy with me for who I am and what I've done. Repentance means getting rid of both. In a very real way, repentance is the opposite of work. Repentance is anti-work. Repentance is, is stepping back from the situation, admitting that there's absolutely nothing we can do, that the only thing our work does is cause God to be further removed from us. Repentance is getting out of the way so that God can do his work. And Isaiah makes it clear that as he describes repentance, this isn't sort of a, a one-and-done project. This is something that will always be going on in the life of a Christian. This is work. This is work that's never done. I'm guessing it was a bitter pill for those Jewish people to swallow, to, to realize what had happened as a result of all of their effort, all of their work at, at national and religious pride, to see all of that come to nothing. 2,000 years later, that pill hasn't become any less bitter. See, even though there are thousands of years of history arguing against us, we are still convinced that the way we are going to feel like complete people is by completing more and more work. Maybe for us that, that work that we do isn't all that different from what the Jewish people were trying to do. That work is all tied up in religion and politics. It's all tied up in the moral stances that we take and, and the goodness that we seek to portray. It's all tied up in, in those things that we post on social media that either show what we consider to be good or show our outrage against what we consider to be evil. It's in our constant efforts to portray ourselves as good, kind, generous, virtuous people. Maybe those efforts are tied up in all of the different activities that accompany this time of year that make us extra busy in the weeks leading up to Christmas. If we can just give our kids the perfect Christmas, if we can just host the perfect holiday meal, if we can just bring home the biggest year-end bonus yet, if we can just amaze our boss by nailing that year-end project, then, then we'll feel like we really accomplished something. Friends, just like John the Baptist, I, I don't need to argue or convince you of the folly of those kinds of things because really the facts are on my side. If any of that worked, then we sitting here today, 21st century Americans, should be the most content, most satisfied, most self-assured people who have ever lived on planet Earth. Why? Because we can flat out work better and faster than anyone who has ever come before us. The tools that we have at our disposal allow us to get things done at a rate that people a generation ago never could have dreamed of. And yet again, just like in Jesus' day, just like in 1888, so also today more and more people are finding that that doesn't get us any closer 
to feeling like we are completed people. Instead, it takes us farther and farther away. We too need to hear that message of John the Baptist, that message of repentance, that message to put down our work, to remember that the only thing our work can possibly accomplish in our relationship with God is to drive him further and further away. No, if we are to find a sense that we are in fact completed people, we're not going to find it sitting at our desk with our computer screen open. We're not going to find it glued to our phone 24 hours a day. We're going to need to find that somewhere else. And because we will always be convinced that more work is necessary, John's message of repentance is always needed. The work of repentance is never going to be done. Okay, but then what? All we've done so far is illustrate what isn't going to get us to our goal of feeling as though we are completed people. What will possibly do it. Well, as strange as it sounds, sometimes doing less is actually the secret to getting more done. In fact, I first found out about this book written by George Beard in another book that actually was, rec- was written recently. It's entitled In Praise of Wasting Time, written by a man named Alan Lightman. Alan Lightman argues that in our day-to-day lives, each one of us needs to find more time to do nothing. In other words, more time when we are doing something without the express purpose of of checking something off of our list or getting an assignment done. So you take a nice long walk on the trail and you leave your cell phone at home. You enjoy that first cup of morning coffee without trying to plow through your inbox at the very same time. You take a nice long drive and you leave the radio off, you leave your phone at home and you just do nothing but think. Alan Lightman says that it's in those moments of doing nothing that suddenly the creativity and the problem-solving ability of the brain is unleashed. Suddenly brand new ideas start popping into your head and that stunningly complex problem that you've been, you've been stewing over for the last several weeks suddenly has a completely simple solution. In a very similar way, John the Baptist wants to tell us that when we do less work, when we put down our work, that's when we really start to get things done. John preaches this message of repentance and it's accompanied by a promise. He preaches a message of repentance that brings the forgiveness of sins. So think about that. Repent. Do less work. Put down your work. Get out of the way so that God can work. And and look at what happens. A blessing that you never could have worked for on your own, you receive the forgiveness of sins. Isaiah really pictures it the very same way in those verses from his prophecy where he talks about this construction project. Once the road is leveled out and made completely smooth, it's not a road so that we can do the difficult work of crawling our way back to God. No, instead the road is for God himself. The road is for Jesus to travel to get to us. The road is his, not ours. The work is his, not ours. See, this is the strange and beautiful paradox of repentance. That when we stop working, that's when things really start to get done. That when we stop working, when we admit to ourselves that the only work that can possibly, that the only thing that our work can do is distance us from God, God doesn't say to us, you know what, you're right, you're fired, get out of my sight. Instead, he does the very thing that he decided to do and planned to do and promised to do and then finally did long before 
you and I had a single repentant fiber in our being. He sends his son to work for us. To keep the law in all of its points in our place. To leave no task unfinished, no good deed undone. He sends his son to pay for our sins. To pay for every accidental mistake and every deliberate disobedient path that we've chosen for ourselves. He sends his son to work and work and work and work until he can say from the cross, finished, done, ready, complete. And friends, it's through repentant faith in Jesus that the very same words apply to you and me. Finished. Done. Ready. Complete. Because repentance is giving up on our work and making way for Jesus' work. Repentance is a task that is is never done. We always need to keep at it, but it's always perfectly complete. So does that mean that you and I shouldn't be busy? No, in fact, far from it. In fact, I would encourage you in these 16 days that remain between now and Christmas and these 22 days that remain between now and the end of the year, go at it. Give it all that you've got. Work your little fingers to the bone. Do everything. Wow your boss by nailing that year-end project. Bring home the biggest year-end bonus ever. Host the perfect family gathering. Find the ugliest sweater for the party. Do it all. But do it because you enjoy it. Do it for its own sake. Do it because God has given you the time and the gifts and the resources and the opportunity to do it. Don't try and complete those things because you think that by doing them, you will become a complete person. No, instead, for that blessing, a blessing that all of us are are, are after, we will need to go look for that blessing undercover. We will need to go find that blessing where God promises to give it. Out of all the things that we do, we will need to find time to tear ourselves away from our phones and our computers and everything else. And we will need to find time to be with Jesus where he promises to be found. Not in a manger, not in human flesh. He did that once already. Today and to you, he comes in his word. He comes in bread and wine. He comes here in his house and he comes in your homes too. And friends, rest assured that when you find time to spend with Jesus, as difficult as it is, after you've spent that time with Jesus, there won't be a single thing on your to-do list that is complete that wasn't before. But you will be. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.